Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Around us we see um, nature, the plants and animals and insects, and there's so much evidence for creation when we consider the fact that all these amazing uh, organisms um, come to, uh, to be as a result of uh, um, cells that are programmed uh, by a unique code that we call DNA, which programs the, the structure from the initial gamete cells or eggs um, to uh, fertilised eggs to the particular organism or fertilised seed to the particular plant and so forth. And so there's these amazing codes, there's this amazing biochemistry that um, we um, observe that underpins all life. Um, thousands of balanced, well, uh, chemical reactions actually that are out of balance and that's why they continue to go. But uh, biochemical systems that in themselves um, are balanced and continue to operate. Many cycles, biochemical cycles operate. We know that there are uh, tiny machines, molecular machines, that make up part of the, the cells and part of our organism. Uh, and in, when we look at these things, there's amazing design, well, evidence for design in terms of if we were to make such a, uh, an equivalent machine or try to make such an equivalent machine, we would require lots of engineers, a lot of intelligent thought. And so... In many ways, this points to a super-intelligent designer. And, of course, this is what the Bible refers to as God, the creator God who um, made the universe. But one of the other evidences um, for creation and for the existence of some supernatural uh, being, mind, that is outside space and time and matter is the uh, existence of the, the laws of physics and chemistry themselves that make this um, whole universe and, and life possible and, and able to operate. So we have laws of, of physics, and uh, you know one of the most common ones, of course, is, is gravity. When we jump up, we pull down. If we push um, uh, a pencil off the side of the table, it falls to the ground. It's pulled down by a force. And um, we say that that object's been accelerated by the force of gravity and it, uh, it falls uh, towards the centre of the Earth, towards the centre of mass. And so masses are attracted by, by gravity, by these gravitational forces. And the same, most of us have played with magnets and we have magnetic fields and there are equations and constants that, gravi that govern the uh, strength of uh, magnetic fields. And, of course, uh, we're learning chemistry about molecules and the atoms are held together in molecules by chemical bonds. And these are all forces um, that control and make um, different compounds possible, chemical compounds possible, which, again, in turn, make different uh, types of materials and substances possible, including you know, the substances that constitute living organisms. And so some of these things we you may not you know think of in everyday terms, but again, we find evidence of supernatural um, design here in the terms of uh, fine tuning, what is called fine tuning. 
Now, back um, in about uh, 1982, the physicist um, Paul Davies has written quite a number of books, uh, published a book by Cam- uh, with Cambridge University Press called The Accidental Universe. And, of course, physicists uh, you know, and scientists that don't want to accept the reality of God, they have to... Um, uh, explain the origin of all these things by some sort of random natural processes because this is the whole idea is to keep God out of the science classroom and really the evidence is overwhelming we've got a tidal wave of ev- scientific evidence now for a creator for the existence of a creator the creator God in fact, you know, the evidence fits really well the creator God described in the Bible. And, of course, that's why, you know, I'm a Christian um, as well, uh, as, as you know, many other people and many other scientists when they recognise this. Um, and the pushback now is, uh, as scientists are trying to push back and find, you know, answers to somehow still explain um, how things can exist just by themselves. But the evidence is just growing all the time that it's overwhelmingly impossible, absolutely impossible, you know, not in, you know, trillions of trillions and trillions and trillions of years. And it, uh, as I mentioned in many programs, it really frustrates me that students and young people aren't being taught the evidence for a creator God the evidence for creation. Instead, they're being told all the time about evolution, the Big Bang Theory, and so forth, despite the fact you know, that top scientists, uh, and top astronomers, for example, point out that the Big Bang Theory you know, is improbable. Um, as a matter of fact, it isn't even science because none of it can be tested and the predictions don't hold up. Um, really even be, shouldn't be considered as science. Um, matter of fact, there's far more evidence for creation than there is for the Big Bang Theory, and yet this is a compulsory part of teaching science students, uh, particularly in schools in Australia. Um, and again, we, you know, they're, they're being taught the theory of evolution, yet we know the codes required to produce new body parts and new types of uh, you know, chemical functions and new types of organs uh, can't arise by chance. You know, you've got amazing molecular machines um, such as the, you know, electric motors that drive the flagellarine bacteria uh, existing in, you know, primitive organisms. And these are, you know, highly sophisticated um, control systems underpin the operation of these uh, electric motors and, and sensory systems to uh, direct the organism to uh, food, chemical sensors, you know, really advanced systems, way beyond, even with our current knowledge today, we could design and synthesise on that sort of scale that would work today. And our students are told that somehow, you know, from non-living molecules, these um, uh, these uh, first life formed. And yet, you know, basic food chemistry, if you sterilise uh, something and it's, it's dead, it's not going to come alive again. Otherwise, we'd be all be, you know, risk of food poisoning. And yet all the ingredients for life are there. Um, 
but they don't, organisms don't become back alive. Um, and we know why, because there's hundreds of biochemical reactions that have to be put in just the right amount of out of balance to produce just the right concentration of ingredient for the next reaction to go and so forth. And these, this has to all occur simultaneously at the same time. So it's impossible to, to start up a dead system again. Um, and so we, we have evidence all around us that life is, is supernatural. And, of course, what Davies was looking at was, you know, the evidence, well, the universe must have been an amazing accident. And then since that time, a number of books have been uh, published looking at the amazing fine-tuning of the universe. And when we look at calculating the statistics, pointing out how impossible it is. Um, one of those uh, books in, was published in 1986, The Anthropic Cosmological Principle. It was published by Oxford University Press by John Barrow and Frank Tipler. And then um, in the 2000, uh, Martin Rees published a book, Just Six Numbers, The Deep Forces That Shape the Universe. Um, and that was published by Basic Books in, in 2000. And then in 2004, another book was published, The Privileged Planet, How Our Place in the Cosmos is Designed for Discovery. That was a very interesting book by Galamiro Gonzalez and Jay Richards. Uh, and again, they point out how the Earth is just so unique um, in where we are, what the, the properties are and of uh, our planet, its dimensions and everything. It's just absolutely perfect for life. And the chances, again, of this happening are so implausible that really it's unlikely that any other life actually exists in the universe. And then, of course, um, in 2007, Roger Penrose, um, another uh, uh, physics professor, um, uh, at either Cambridge or Oxford, I can't remember which one, um, published his book, The Road to Reality, A Complete Guide to the Laws of the Universe. And he does some very interesting t statistics, which, um, um, you know, when we look at the, um, at the fine uh, tuning um, for, the, um, for the universe... Um, it's, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, and again, the probability of it occurring is so huge. It's astronomical use. Matter of fact, in his book, The Road to Reality, he estimates the odds of an initial low entropy state of the universe, which would, is a requirement for our universe to form, of occurring by chance alone are in the order of one to the power, it's such a, a huge number, it's hard for me to actually explain it to you, but it's 1 in 10 to the power 10 to the 123, power 123. So that is a absolutely huge. In other words, it's 1 in 10 with 10 to the power 123 zeros after it. This is an astronomically huge number. In other words, 10 to the power 80 would be the um, uh, is the estimated number of atoms in the in the universe. And so 10 to the power 160 would be um, 
and the, if there are as many universes as there are atoms in the universe, that would be the number of atoms in all those universes. Well, this number is actually, you know, almost um, the the power that you're raising to instead of ten to the power one sixty, is ten to the power, almost as big as the number of atoms that there would be in the number if we counted all the atoms if there were as many universes as there are atoms. In other words, it's an astronomically absolutely impossible number. And um, so and this ratio has actually been described by people as vastly beyond our powers of comprehension. And so essentially, this is how unique our universe is. And again, it points to remarkable special creation. So I thought I'd run through too some of the examples of the evidence of, of fine tuning. As a matter of fact, you know, Stephen Hawking, who again I understand was an atheist, admitted that the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers, which referring to the constants of physics, seem to have been very finely tuned to adjust it, make it po- to make it possible for the development of life. And he wrote that in his book, The Brief History of Time, on page 125. And so here we have some, some uh, top uh, physicists. Um, Roger Penrose, of course, was... Uh, I think Stephen Hawking was at Cambridge, and so that means Roger Penrose would have been at Oxford, but they were corresponding professors there. So we can see here the top professors in the uh, physics... Uh, you know, Ray to some of the top professors of physics in the in the world in our lifetime um, have uh, pointed out the uniqueness of the fine tuning of these constants, which make which again the chances of these things just occurring by chance that just happen to be right. There's so many of them, as I said, when you do the calculations. At can you come to some astronomical number? For example, the gravitational force constant, right? And gravity, this is what holds people on planets and holds the planets, stars and galaxies together. If it was too weak, the planets and stars cannot form. If it's too strong, the stars would burn up too quickly and wouldn't last very long. If we look at the electromagnetic force, and so this is a small-scale attractive and repulsive force that holds atoms and electrons and atomic nuclear together. If it were much stronger or weaker, we wouldn't have stable chemical bonds. And then, of course, there's the strong nuclear force constant, uh, where this is another small-scale attractive force that holds the nuclei of atoms together, which would otherwise repulse because of the electromagnetic force. If it were weaker, the universe would have far fewer stable ele- uh, chemical elements, and so that would eliminate um, a lot of the elements that are essential for life to form. Then, of course, there's the weak nuclear force constant, that governs radioactive decay. If it were much stronger or weaker, then life-essential stars wouldn't form. So these are the four fundamental forces, the gravitational force constant, or force constant, the gravitational force constant, the electromagnetic force constant, the strong nuclear force constant, and the weak nuclear force constant. And then, of course, there's the cosmological constant, and this refers to a balance of the attractive force of gravity with a hypothesized repulsive force of space, 
which seems to be only observable at very large size scale. So it's still being investigated. But this, what they're saying is this must be very close to zero. That is, these two forces must be nearly perfectly balanced. And to get the right balance, the cosmological constant must be fine-tuned to something like one part in 10 to the power 120. So to give you an idea, as I said, it's estimated that there are about 10 to the power 80 atoms in the universe. And so if you had half as many universes as there are atoms in the universe and you added up all the atoms in those and you had to pick one atom, just one atom out of all the atoms that were in all those universes, remember, as many uh, universes as there are half the number of atoms in this universe, that's the probability of picking just the right value for the cosmological constant. If it was just slightly more positive, the universe would fly apart. Slightly more negative, the universe would collapse. So I think as we see this fine-tuning, there's so many things that are just fine-tuned to be just perfect. Yet without God, we have to believe that without an intelligent being behind this, setting it all up that could understand this and setting up this whole idea of magnetism, of electric fields, of gravitational fields, of nuclear forces and so forth. All these things have been set up just like the code of the DNA code is an amazing information system. It's been set up for the evidence is so obvious it's been set up. Uh, by a, a mind, a great mind. And so, and again, as with the cosmological constant, the, the ratio of the other constants must be fine-tuned relative to each other as well. And, um, and since the logically possible range of the strengths of some uh, forces is you know, potentially infinite, to get a handle on the precision of fine-tuning, theorists often think uh, in terms of a range of, uh, of force strengths. And um, so, for example, a strong nuclear force is 10 to the power 40 times stronger than gravity. That is 10,000 billion, 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 billion times the strength of gravity. And, you know, if you think of that range as represented by a ruler stretching across the entire observable universe of about 15 billion light years, if we increase the strength of gravity by just one part in 10 to the 34 of the range of force lengths, and that would be equivalent of just moving less than one inch across this rule of the diameter of the universe, then the universe couldn't have life-sustaining planets. So that's how closely fine-tuned. So that is an example to give us a picture, right? It's so fine-tuned that if you had a ruler, the width of the... uh, uh, of the uh, reaching across the entire observable universe and you moved it just one inch, then things would get out of balance. You know, when we think about the Bible describes God as the creator, the self-existent one, and it makes so much sense. You know, people say, who made God? Well, the Bible says God is self-existent. And 
and also because he doesn't have a cause, he doesn't have a beginning. Time, and it's, it's fascinating, of course, without matter, you can't have time. And when you look into general relativity. And so, so much of what the Bible says actually makes sense. But the other thing is, too, that our thoughts are non-material. Our thoughts aren't material. You can't weigh our thoughts. You can't put our thoughts in a uh, you know a measuring cylinder and volume and measure their volume. You can measure our brain, but not our thoughts. Our thoughts are non-material, and we control our thoughts. There's this non-material essence of who we are, and God is non-material too. And we communicate with God, and we there's evidence in the Bible that God has inspired the writing of the Bible. And that's what the Bible says. Men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote down their inspiration. And it's amazing when we look at all the records of the Bible, books written over you know, a, a sort of one and a half thousand year period or so, and they're all coherent, and they fit together, and they build on one another. And they're building this picture. And, of course, then there is the life of, of Jesus as well. You know, I was just reading the other night um, in Luke the example of, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders in the time of Jesus, you know, were just waiting to pick a fight with him. And, and one Sabbath he was in the temple and a man came in with a withered hand. And... Um, you know, Jesus, they were looking at him, thinking, will he heal on the Sabbath? And he healed the man's hand. And they were amazed. and They got really cranky. And there are so many miracles like this that are recorded by a number of witnesses that Jesus did that can't be faked. And they were there and they, they happened in people. People that were blind were made to see. People that were dead were raised to life, been dead for a number of days. Um this sort of thing. Uh, Crippleds, where people have been crippled all their life, were healed um, in front of witnesses. And this was the evidence that Jesus gave, that he was God. He was God incarnate that had come to earth to show us how to live. And what do you say? Love one another, you know. Um, Do good to those that do bad things to you, you know. Don't take revenge. And when you think about the teachings of Jesus... They lead to peace. They lead to good endings. Now, of course, there are a lot of people that have claimed to be Christians that have done terrible things. But if you read what Jesus said and taught, they weren't uh, doing the things that Jesus said. They they might have thought that they were. But when we read the, the Bible and read the actual teachings of Jesus, that the fundamental principle is to want, love one another and to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you and so forth. Um, not to act selfishly and, and so forth. This, or these reactions, if everybody did that, we'd lead to, to, to peace. But also, of course, when we see the world as running down and the, you know, the consequences of, of sin, you know, we're running out of resources, you know, big time, fresh water, um, arable land, um, the destruction that we're doing to rainforests, um, the, the pollution of uh, waterways, all these sort of things, all point to the earth running down, as well as, of course, the increased rate of mutations in, in our own uh, human bodies, all point that the earth has a finite time. And, of course, God describes the system. If he created initially, the Bible talks about how the earth, the universe, the whole lot is going to be destroyed and remade again. This time without sin, without evil. Why? Because we have free will creatures, creatures in there, us, who have chosen 
that they want to do the right thing. In other words, they don't want to be part of uh, doing evil. And that's what accepting Jesus as Saviour is all about. Um, it's making that decision to, I don't want to be part of this evil world. I want to be in a world that is perfectly good, where people love one another, there's kindness, and nothing goes wrong. There's no death or sorrow. And that's what God promises, that he's going to remake it. And um, that he's offered us forgiveness for the bad things we have if we choose to change and um, want to be a, a good person, want to be do the things that, that God wants us to do. And, of course, there's uh, lots of other um, evidence too. I got a bit sidetracked there. Uh, there are, you know, there's so many other examples of evidence of, of fine tuning. You know, for example, um, the when we look at the we've looked at the massive things in the in the universe, but there's also the ratio of the masses for protons and electrons. If they were slightly different, the building blocks for life, such as DNA, could not be formed. Even if we consider the velocity of light, if it were much larger, stars would be too luminous. If it were smaller, stars would not be luminous enough. Um, the mass excess of the neutron over the proton. So you remember in the structure and the nucleus of the atom, you've got essentially protons, which are positively charged, and neutrons, and they're orbited essentially by the negative charge particles of, of negligible mass electrons. And, of course, if these, the mass excess of neutrons over protons, if it were greater, there would be too few heavy elements for life. If it were smaller, the stars would quickly collapse as neutron stars or black holes. So, um, and even as the universe is um, uh, fine-tuned at the cosmic level, local conditions can vary uh, um, dramatically and that's uh, what uh, uh, Gonzalez and Richards wrote about in The Privileged Planet and they um, identify 12 factors that uh, can be found on the, uh, the earth um, that are absolutely essential for life. You know, they talk about steady plate tectonics with just the right ge type of geological interior which allows the carbon cycle and generates a protective magnetic field. If the Earth's crust was significantly thicker, plate tectonic recycling would not take place. There's just the right amount of water in the crust which provides a universal solvent for life. Um, we have a large moon with the right planetary rotation period, which stabilises the planet's tilt and contributes to tide. In the case of the Earth, the gravitational pull of the moon stabilises the angle of its axis at nearly a constant 23.5 degrees. And this ensures relatively temperate seasonal changes and, um, and the only climate in the solar system mild enough to sustain complex living organisms. We've got just the right concentration of sulphur. We have just the right planetary mass. If the Earth was smaller, its magnetic field would be weaker, allowing the solar wind to strip away our atmosphere. Um, <laughs> we'd become a dead, barren world like Mars. Uh, we're near the inner edge of the circumstellar habitable zone, which allows the planet to maintain just the right of liquid water on the surface. Um, there are so many things um, that, uh, that fit um, just the position of uh, the Earth in the universe and so forth. We have all this evidence there again pointing to fine-tuning, pointing to creation, by a supernatural divine creator. 
And I believe that's the same creator that's described in the Bible. Um, And so, uh, again, we have this overwhelming evidence for creation, not naturalism. It's absolutely impossible for, on the basis of scientific evidence we have now, for our universe and planet to have formed by chance. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And if you want to re-listen to these programs or catch up on other programs, remember to Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the Listen button. And remember to tell your friends about this program too on your social media pages. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 